The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by The Tea Clinic. Good morning, this is The Tea Health Show. I'm Dr. Mark, and we're continuing our discussion on, on women's health issues. And today's topic is women and mental health. So I've invited um, a clinical psychologist, Dr. Ansi Ghos, to join us. And in studio, as always, Sister Elise and our producer, Simpiwe. Dr. Ghos, Ansi, good morning. Good morning. Morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, When we planned the topics for Women's Month, one of the first things that we said we need to discuss is women's health issues. Now, I think... If we look at the statistics, it's actually shocking. 75% of women at one point in their life will battle with a mental illness. And currently, the statistics point to one in five women per year. That's 25% of women per year will be diagnosed or suffer with a a mental health issue. Um, and see, what are these issues and why the, the high incidence? Sure, Mark. It's actually something that really worries me because I know it's been said 25% into 25%, but that was before COVID. And I've seen in my practice that the, all the mental health issues, depression, anxiety disorders, burnout, has really increased significantly. And I heard on the radio the other day one of the researchers at UJ, uh, the University of Johannesburg, said she does um, research on mental health every year. And since last year, it had anxiety, depression, burnout has doubled. So I've, I'm aware of burnout mm. for one simple reason. I see it in my practice, mm. uh, Elise. I agree. With, with basically every patient. And it's, it's young, healthy patients um, just having too much on their plates and not coping. Now, when we talk about burnout, um, we immediately referring to, to hormones, um, where excessive amounts of cortisol, which is due to chronic stress starts um, elevating glucose and blood pressure, but it leads to, number one, anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest problem there is because of the impact on sleep. And when you don't address that, that anxiety now turns into a depression and in the end, dissociation and disengagement. And these people are, are, are stuck in a hole that's so deep that they can't even see the light at the top. I can't agree more with you. And, you know, if one just thinks about, first of all, women um, have a lot on their plate. I mean, everyone has a lot on their plate. But if one thinks about, you know, the workforce, uh, what your work um, asks from you, if, and, and then what one doesn't, uh, that one needs to take into account is our nervous system is upregulated all the time. We need our survival response for short periods of time. So what you're describing there is stress. Stress, stress is a survival ex- 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 mechanism. Ex- ex- exactly. And if one thinks about the fact that it's post-COVID, but there are still people uh, you know, sitting with grief, either of losing, you know, loved ones. I mean, I've seen people who lost three family members. Yes, it was so quite they, interesting. So they're still in a grief process. And then we have the economic um, situation in our country at the moment. A third of all people in South Africa don't have any jobs. And then people are struggling. We know all, you know, the... Um, the effects of the, the the economy, and then we have load shedding. Mm. You know, just to give you an, an example, um, I saw a woman the other day. She's in a busy in a divorce. She worked for her husband. Now she has to start her own new business. She has to drop her child at school, which usually takes her about 20 to 25 minutes. It took her an hour and a half dropping her child before she was back at work, and she had to see a new client and she was late for the appointment and he said to her, I can't work with someone 
who's not, uh, you know, um, on, time. on time. So can you just imagine, and, and this is one person's story, which is actually what so many people go through every day. So people are highly stressed. We can see that when we drive. People are, And what people often don't realize is whether you are stressed and anxious and whether you are angry, it's your survival response which is uh, activated. So anger as well. Anger as well, because it's the f- the fight response, and I mean uh, fight, flight, fight, flight, fight, flight, freeze. So people don't realize what is the price that they are paying for the fact that they are constantly stressed, constantly ang- angry, or uh, you know, irritable. Frus- um, the the tolerance for frustration is very very low. Yeah, we're and seeing it in the practice as well, and I'm experiencing it yes, as well. Yes, so people are very irritable, and there's a negative cycle going on. You know, if I'm irritable and I'm in a relationship, it it rubs off, and then everyone is affected by that. So it's extremely important to take responsibility for your mental health as much as possible. But I also want to come in here usually or. Oh. Historically, it's taboo to talk about these things, Absolutely. especially for women. Yes. I, I actually want to ask Simpiwe because since, mm-hmm. um, you know, with my experience of African culture is that they do not recognize depression or anxiety. Oh, you're just moody. Men. So, but you guys can't, fr- traditionally, yeah. let's put it this way, your mother mm. um, or your older sisters um we're not able to talk about depression and anxiety. Um, and it's, it's, there's so much around mental health and how it affects your physical health um, that I think this is probably the biggest problem that we are facing in today's society is mental health. But as a mother myself, health. And I'm taking myself as an example in my immediate family. I'm always expected to be upbeat. I'm always yes. expected to have mm. an answer. Mm. I'm always expected to mm. be the mm. one that keeps everybody together. Mm. You never have a, a soundboard to yes. say, this is how I feel. And I think that is a big thing in our lives today. And it's not only a an African thing. It's a, it's a mother thing. Yeah, I can be facetious and say that I'm glad that I can become a grumpy old man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most people would say that I am I one. was going <laughs> to add to that that I do think it's um, the girls take a bit of a harder hitting mm-hmm. in that regard in terms of you kind of have to grow up faster um, and then take care of like helping mom so, out yes. with the household chores, whereas the boys can still play until five o'clock and come back home looking dusty. That's very true. And so, I yeah. mean, if, if, if one looks at, we, you know, it's a double, um, both people in a relationship have a job. Mm-hmm. And yet if one looks at the statistics around the household course, 70% of everything that needs to be organized is on the woman's shoulder. Exactly. And when it comes to being, I want to... Um, Uh, get to what you said, um, Elise, as a mother, 90% of all responsibility around children. And grandchildren. And grandchildren, (laughs) yeah. Uh, I mean, lands on the the mother's shoulder, on the woman's shoulder. So it is really worrying. Uh, It is something that I think we don't know what we are going what our society is going to look like in another five years if we don't start doing something now to take responsibility for our mental health well you know what ansi we i I think at some point we need to address stress what causes stress and Mm. what is stress Mm. um we know that it's the body's physiological response mm. to mm. a changing environment, mm. and it's good for you mm. because it allows you to react to situations, especially when they become life-threatening. So we call that eustress, if I'm, a, yes. if I'm correct. Yes. Now, eustress, again, positive, but then we get acute stress. Yes. Those are your daily stresses. For instance like sitting in traffic or load shedding. But the problem that we are faced is this is not a one-time stress and then it happens three or four weeks later. It's a continuous stress. And stress is cumulative. Um, 
if you don't deal with a specific stressor, it, it adds on. And eventually you get to that point where you are in chronic stress. Mm-hmm. Chronic stress leads to a decrease in sleep. It le- leads to uh, just the decrease in sleep leads to fatigue, Absolutely. which leads to anxiety, mm-hmm. which leads to irritability. Again, one small incidence when you are chronically stressed, something small like falling over the dog or, you know, having a small bump on your car can push you over the edge. And that's where chronic stress go into chronic fatigue. That's exactly it. And and what we must take into account is the fact that we have this very – interconnectedness between mind and body. So absolutely what goes on in your mind and how you feel will affect your body. So, um, yes, I think perhaps we need to talk a little bit about how do you, what what does it mean to say we live in a situation where our stress levels are upregulated all the time? Will you explain that to us? So so that that is exactly what you uh, talked about is that there's, um, there's so much stress that one cannot relax. And the more you are in a stressed um, situation, your blood pressure rises, your heartbeat yes. is, um, I mean, you can name all well, the blood pressure, pressure glucose, glucose. You yes. have downregulation of all your sex hormones, yes. which in itself, itself yeah. with lower libido, leads to stress in a relationship. relationship exactly. But you know, but then with that, you also increase your insulin levels. So your metabolism a, starts changing. Exactly. You downregulate your thyroid. Everything um, is affected. So the whole body yes. goes out yes. of whack. Yes. 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 yes, yes, we see that. So one then sits with feelings of um, you feel very low or you feel very irritable. You feel um, on edge all the time. Mm. You... Um, People can feel um, extremely lonely. Numbness is a very important thing to take into account. Actually, the the deeper the depression goes, the more people get to a state where they just feel nothing at all here. So numbness is really... So it's actually, you know what, I'm I'm lucky. I I think I I sometimes dip a little bit, but I've, I've never felt depressed. I did not. I felt, I, I thought with depression, and Cynthia, we join me in this one, mm-hmm. that you feel low, not numb. Yes. So uh, you feel numb. Uh, let me explain. I think uh, I think it's important to realize what happens with different people. Some people feel very low, very depressed. They feel very down and their mood never lifts. Some people feel very irritable. So they always you know, very irritable and frustrated. So very reactive. Yes, especially men. Yeah, and that that's why from women. that that is why I think uh, depression in men is actually underrecognized yeah. because people don't see it as depression, and then I'll also see come it to as anger. Uh, they see it as anger, and then also um, uh, alcohol abuse and misuse. Alcohol is a very uh, often a self-medication for depression. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and we know that women are starting to drink more and more and more. Yeah, we're it's, seeing yeah. it in the practice. Yes, yes, yes. And so that's also self-medication for depression. And then um, when you get to a stage where you can't feel anything, it's almost as if you are depleted of all feelings. Emotions, you've you've yeah. had too much emotions, then you feel numb. Is that but, that disengagement? <clears throat> yes, but I, I just want to, yeah, the disengage, I want to say something more about the disengagement. But it can also vacillate between, uh, you know, feeling down, feeling irritable, feeling numb in the same person. So that can also happen. Hmm. Um, so it's, it is difficult sometimes for people to, you know, you talked about that just moody, <laughs> you know. So that is often how it is seen. And so there's no understanding. And also we must know that it's difficult to live with someone who's very depressed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so it and that it also has an uh, impact on uh, the whole family. Mm-hmm. But I want to get to um, Can the… Can I ask something quickly? Yes, please. I, I heard um, the term uh, functioning yes. uh, depression. Yes, it, like. Does that still work the same way with the numbness or is that completely different? No. 
um, it depends on the deepness, if I can, okay. of the depression. So many pe- people, we, we, we actually distinguish between depression, mm-hmm. a major depressive disorder where you are very depressed and you need medication, and a more milder depression, which we call um, dysthemia, where you, you, you function, you do what you need to do, but it uses all the energy that you can muster to do your work. So you're functional, you keep on doing what you need to do, but you're really not happy <laughs> at all. Um, and then we also have what we call a bipolar disorder. Um, it used to be called manic a depressive manic disorder. Depression, yeah. And we need to distinguish there between bipolar 1, which means that when people are in an elevated mood, they are very... Um, happy or euphoric, but they can also be very irritable. And that's also where people, you know, the, the fact that pe- some people are more irritable and some people are more um, manic and, and, you know, on the go, people then don't realise and don't uh, see that it's actually the same thing that goes so on. I, I had a patient in my office um, who's been diagnosed with bipolar. I think she's got bipolar too. Two. Okay. Um, <coughs> And she said to me, when she gets her, her manic episodes, um, she's studying. And then it looks like um, you are in a CSI lab with charts and graphs and um, all of that scattered around her. And then um, the, she says... She would get up at three o'clock in the morning and by six o'clock she's rearranged the whole house. Sure. Mm. Um, so she likes her manic yes. um, s- uh, periods because she's so incredibly productive. But being bipolar too, we, her lows are extreme. Okay, I think this is important, Mark. There's no difference between a major depressive disorder, depression, uh, bipolar 1 and 2 depression. The levels of depression is very, very low and very difficult to manage. With a bipolar 1, people can get, they can actually become psychotic. You know, Mm. they do weird things, very high levels of energy, very irritable, they pick fights. Uh, they can't focus and concentrate because they have these, you know, flood of ideas. They're very creative, Yeah. very creative. Many of our artists and poems, uh, poets and authors oh. are, suffer from a bipolar disorder. Okay. And that's also why people with a bipolar disorder don't like going on medication because it it has an impact on their creativity because a mood stabilizers actually, you know, brings the high down. But then when someone suffers from a bipolar 2, the, the difference between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2 is the, the height of the elation. So with bipolar 1, people are very energetic. They, they can go days without sleep. Mm. Um, they have high levels of energy. They are creative but they can't focus. With bipolar 2, people in a hypermania can actually be very productive and, and, and they can use that in energy very well. But then, as you say, the problem starts the moment that they dip. Yeah. And unfortunately, what goes up must go down again. Yeah. You know? so, and, 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 and the when, problem is it can cycle rapidly. Yes, it can. It, uh, usually the, the hypermania or manic uh, um, cycles are shorter a few weeks or a you know a few months, and then the, the depressive cycles are longer um, months usually. But then you also get um, rapid cycling where the up and downs uh, you know happen in a day or in a week, and it's also a little bit more difficult to to medicate to manage. Yeah, yeah to manage. Yeah. Yeah. So and see, I I think um, we need to touch on the most common mood or mental health disorders in women. Um, I think if, if we need to list them, anxiety mm. would probably be number one. Yes, and, 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 and what people also don't realize is that 
anxiety and depression go hand in hand. About 80% of people who are depressed are also anxious. I, I want us to just focus on what anxiety actually is. Um, it's, it's, an, it's a, a, a feeling of nervousness or discomfort or fear about situations that are normal. And, uh, you know, it, it's like uh, fearing having to get onto the bus, um, feeling nervous and uneasy going into a public space or being around people. That's more a type of anxiety. I think people don't really understand the difference between anxiety and depression because they are so interlinked Link with one another. Yes. Um, uh, uh, we talk about free-flowing anxiety, that sometimes you actually don't know what makes you anxious. Yes, I wanted to ask yeah, that. Yeah, that y you just feel anxious. You just feel... doesn't need to be a, s a the, trigger or anything. Yeah, there's often... Uh, often one cannot actually pinpoint a trigger. Yeah. With a fear, you know, um, phobia, is phobia. A, that's a little bit different. You know, I'm, I have a, well, I have a fear of snakes. I have a phobia of snakes. So, I mean, it's very specific and you can actually, uh, uh, you can manage that in a way. I mean, I don't need to touch a snake. So, you know, I can stay away from that fear mm. or I can manage it in a different way. But with anxiety, it's always there. You always feel on the edge. You always feel there's something that I need to do. I cannot just sit and relax. Yes. I cannot just. Mm. You know, so it's, 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 it's so debilitating. It's debilitating. I, I think one of the biggest problems with anxiety is that when it becomes uncontrollable, mm. it has such a big impact yes. on your daily yes. activities yes. where you stop doing daily activities because you're paralyzed almost. Exactly. With exactly. this fear yeah. of yes. something yes. that um, might happen. Yes. And, and never does. Yeah. I think one thing, one way to understand that is that depression is often about the past. Anxiety is often about the future. Oh, wow. mm. okay. And then um, you and we need stress. Obviously, stress, you talked about you stress, pro-stress. Mm. But the moment that it reaches a tipping point, then it becomes distress. Then it actually, instead of helping you, it paralyzes you and you cannot start doing something. And now, then one also has to take into account your personality. You know, if you're a perfectionist, for instance, you're... We all have an ideal self. That's how we wish we could be, or, you know, what we would like to be and what we reach for. Mm. But if, you're, if you suffer from anxiety or um, a mood disorder, it's different when you're in your manic phase of a bipolar disorder. It, it has an impact on how you see yourself, on your self-esteem. It becomes self, negative? It becomes very negative. Yeah. So you have very low self-esteem. But your ideal self is there. So the gap between how you feel about yourself and how you think you should be is just, I mean, you just can't reach that. Mm. So one of the things about uh, what makes depression and uh, anxiety so difficult is how it affects your, your own relationship with yourself mm. you don't like yourself you feel like a failure you start thinking all these negative thoughts about yourself and then you go into this very negative spiral it's it's very interesting at the end of all my consultations uh, i have five questions that i ask people uh, the first one is um, around well-being i get mm. them to score themselves mm. and mm. we look at physical well-being mm where we look at pain, weight, energy, uh, strength, et cetera, et cetera, how they feel their body is functioning. Mm. And the second one that I ask is, okay, give me a score for how your brain is functioning because um, it's sometimes difficult for them to realize that if we look at the mental state, depression, anxiety, irritability, mood swings, um, to separate that from higher function – Motivation, drive, mm, libido, mm, sex mm, drive, mm. and then cognitive ability, absolutely, um, mm. learning and memory. Yes. And I ask them to group that together. The next question that I ask them is rate your sexual health. Mm. And the fourth one, and this is the very interesting one, is I ask them to rate their self-esteem. Mm. And it's, it's 
very, very seldom, Elise, that, that, get above five. Mm. that sure. people score their self-esteem about yes. five, mm. um, especially kind of women. Thing. Some mm, of the sure. men, mm. um, you can see, are really not honest mm. because they give me a score of sexual well-being of three, physical uh, a four, a uh, brain of a, a five, and they give me themselves a self-esteem of an eight. Yes. But the moment that I ask them, okay, if we look at your scores and the reason that you're sitting in my practice, it's safe to say that your experience of quality of life has changed. It's no longer nine and ten out of ten. Mm. Give me that score. Mm. Suddenly it falls yes. down yes. again to yes. a below five. Yes. Um, so, you know, what? It's, it's the interplay between physical, Absolutely. sexual, <laughs> social, emotional, on quality of life mm. is something that I think people disregard quite often. I think, Mark, this is so important what you are saying and I'm so glad you asked all those questions because if one looks at depression, depression is a terrible illness. Well, actually all the mood disorders are because it affects every aspect of your life. First of all, all there are the emotional symptoms where Mm. you feel what we've talked about, you know, feeling down, irritable, low frustration. Um, then there are the intellectual functions which are uh, impacted. Uh, trouble of struggling to focus, to concentrate, to make even decisions. Yeah, small decisions. Um, uh, shorter memory specifically is, is, is really. And in, interestingly, uh, with children, you see that in their maths, the subject maths, first of all. That's where the p- depression first, uh, Im- you know, has an impact on, on children. That's very interesting. It is interesting. And then you have your, um, so we, we talked about emotional symptoms, f- uh, physical symptoms, uh, intellectual, s- oh, the physical symptoms is, is the one that I want to expand on. Um, you've mentioned your uh, low libido, tiredness, um, but then also either appetite um, loss or appetite gain yes. or weight loss or weight gain yeah. and then either oversleeping or um, suffering from insomnia. insomnia. Yeah. I, 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 when you say that, I actually need to ask the question. What comes first, the sleep disorder or the mood disorder? Or are they interchangeable? Interchangeable. Sometimes yeah. the one will come first and then it will lead to the other. Or the, the uh, That's why the, all the mood disorders are so complex. There's not only one cause. There are biological factors. There are genetic factors. There are social, um, you know, stresses in your life. So there are so many things. That's why it's so difficult. You don't often know what's the chicken and what's the egg. Okay. Elise, I want to ask a question to you. When, when we were studying... Uh, we learned that mood disorders are chemical imbalances. Yes. Um, and see, when, when we talk about this, the work that we do in but the But specific, clinic, chemical imbalances in the brain. Never thought it was a physical or body. Yes, but what I want to get at is hormonal changes mm. because neurotransmitters mm. are chemical messengers mm. that work over short distances Mm. between neurons, Mm. whereas hormones, which is exactly the same thing, Mm. just work over a distance. They secrete it into the Mm. bloodstream Mm. and has an effect Mm. somewhere else. Mm. But all your hormones, specifically your sex hormones, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, are all psychoactive hormones. Mm. They play a role in the brain. Absolutely, absolutely. So it's... Astounding, and next week we'll we'll discuss that further when we talk about postpartum, perinatal, mm. antenatal, and menopausal depressions, mm. Mm. Um, because it's hormonal changes, yes. which stems from a physical perspective, mm. which affects the mental perspective. Mm. It's it's people need to understand that. Um, you need to put all these things together. And I think what I'm seeing, and I, you know what, I, I, I apologize if I'm stepping up toes, but what I'm seeing happening at psychiatrist offices is they overlook for hormone balances. Um, I think 
what is so important is um, to, to look holistically because everything plays a role. And, you know, you mentioned pain. Just so oh, especially yes. abdominal uh, yes, discomfort yes. And, and back and, and shoulder pain. And what we what uh, people don't realize that fifty percent of all people with chronic pain will suffer depressed. from depression. Yes. Depression and your depression lowers your pain threshold. So the more depressed you are, the more pain you will um, experience, experience subjectively. Yeah. Or and that cycle and, and becomes the, even more vicious because exactly. your painkillers yes. that you use, exactly. especially your opioids, these exactly. are your codeines, exactly. trammels, and those yeah. further lower specifically your sex hormones and testosterone, but also lowers therefore dopamine release in the brain. Yes. And and, and so what, what we then sit with is that, and I mean, you know, people, I'm just thinking about people um, who uh, get a cancer diagnosis and mm. who are, uh, you know, cancer patients, they, the, the, the focus is so on the physical things that the emotional uh, things are not are overlooked. And at least 50% of people with cancer, with a heart attack, that suffered a heart attack or a stroke, will also be depressed. And then the same applies for people, um, uh, the older people, the older population, 25% of people in nursing homes are depressed. I've seen, you know, people will bring their parents in and say, well, you know, they are just difficult or, or they, they don't know what to do with them. And I mean, if we, we don't acknowledge how many losses older people have. And there's also a very big link between loss and depression. So uh, it's so loss in the sense of people around them dying, or just loss of mobility, loss of loss of everything, loss of going, you know, moving, loss of children moving out, moving out and immigrating, loss of health, loss of independence, loss of I mean, name it. Loss is um, is really something to look at, and and I think this is also what we are sitting with at the moment. Um, how many losses have so many people had to survive in the last couple of years? So, um, and then, yeah, so, you know, it's all interlinked. So I think we need to look at it from every point of view and see, because it doesn't matter where you start. Everything is a little bit of a building block to actually get to a state of mental health again. And obviously medication plays plays a role. Um, we know with depression, uh, the combination of a medication and a therapy helps. And I want to say a little bit more about that. Um, your neurotransmitters, I mean, the, we, we mentioned that women suffer more from depression. and it's Twice because, as much yes, as men. And it's because women have a bigger limbic system, a deeper limbic system, apparently larger in a woman than in a man. Mm. In, in yeah, men. there's a difference and, between and range. And women are also, what we, what we say in, in psychology is what you resist persists. And naming a feeling is taming a feeling. So, and women are more inclined to talk about how they feel. But that is the problem when people are depressed. They, try, they, they start isolating themselves. They withdraw. All their energy is turned inwards. And the, more, the worst thing that you can do when you're depressed is to stay in bed. And that's what many people do. The second worst thing is to stay in your room. So it's important for you to get outside. It's important for you to have – obviously, you have little energy, so you have to manage your energy – but you have to make um, a contact with people. It will actually lift you out of your depression. It's but not too much because then it drains your energy. You know, so it's a You very, have to surround yourself with the correct people. Absolutely, with positive people. Um, mm. That's, that's mm. important. But also people who understand because – and I, I want to come back to what you said, you know, about um, people, um, uh, people are just seen as moody. Mm. Unfortunately, there's still today – stigma around mental illnesses. I mean, people will take insulin for diabetes, but they won't take antidepressant for um, depression. And, you know, it's almost as if, what's the difference? If there's an imbalance in your brain that causes depression, why not take medication if it's what you need? 
I, to look, you know, at a holistic at it is I, obviously I, important. I see the hesitancy of taking psychotropic or psychoactive medication in the practice on a daily basis. Um, I think what we are seeing, Elise, in, in practice specifically, is patients being over-medicated. Yes, that's also um, true. I, I mm. am mm. doing a, a, a telephonic consult on a patient during this week, and um, I, I saw the email, and this is a patient with chronic pain, um, but I, I think there's something else underlying. Elise, how many... Six or seven. Seven different. Seven, seven different sure. medications, um, including four oh, antidepressants. It's it's almost as if this patient is being put on a, a a downer, an upper, and a mood stabilizer at the same time. She was on um, lithium. Mm. She was on. She is. Uh, or she is. Mm. She is on an SNRI um, as well as uh, an ultracyclic antidepressant. Sure. Three, and then a sleeping tablet, and then she's on two different opioids. Sure. I think perhaps we need to say something around that. Um, obviously, when one is in a very deep depression, one needs an antidepressant, but it is important not to be over-medicated. And I agree with you, sometimes that is what happens. But do you stay on it chronically? Uh, it depends. What we do know, you know, when I studied at first, they said uh, three months on an antidepressant. Okay. And then they started to say six to 12 months. Yes, the I latest, remember that because yeah. the older, older yes. uh, medication took three months for it to actually start really yeah, being effective. But, but I think it's important to know an antidepressant doesn't work immediately. It takes two weeks before you feel a little bit and better. And these are with and a new, yes, new and, medication. And six weeks before you have the optimal uh, working of the antidepressants. But the latest research says 12 to 18 months, and then you go off the antidepressant. If you get another episode of depression, you go on the antidepressant again for 18 months, and after a third um, episode of depression. You stay on uh, an antidepressant for the rest of your life. With with bipolar disorder, it's different. With a bipolar disorder, you need to be on a mood stabilizer for the rest of your life. Okay. But then in, a, in the very depressed states, they often add an antidepressant. But, but I fully agree with you. Many people are over-medicated. But I think it also, you know, people also want instant mm, I solutions do agree. and then people ask for medication mm. when they actually should start the difficult work of building those small steps of helping yourself, taking responsibility. So no one thing that I'm going to mention now is going to cure your depression, mm. but all of that can make a difference. And the one, can I start with, um, sorry. No, I, I, I know you want to talk about lifestyle changes, yes. but before we get there, okay. can we look at symptoms? Okay. Um, just explore the symptoms and the signs of depression okay. and anxiety a little bit more. I'm going to start with the anxiety okay. ones, the physical ones. Okay. Um, palpitations or an increased yes. heart rate, mm. abdominal pain mm. or abdominal discomfort. IBS is often mm. One, mm. one sign. Mm. Um, shortness of breath, mm. dizziness mm. can often play a role mm. there. And then we get to the emotional stuff, mm. that excessive feeling of <clears throat> discomfort or dis-ease, mm, mm. um, sleep disturbances. Mm. So those are your anxiety ones. Mm. Now, most of them overlap mm. with uh, the depression Dishon. symptoms. Mm. But Ansi, please ex uh, just go through us. What, what are the warning signs of depression starting to set in before we can, before we go on to, okay, what can I do at home to help 
with depression and to prevent depression. Okay. Um, the moment that one sees all the symptoms persisting for two weeks. And it What are those symptoms? Okay, so the symptoms that you've you've talked about now from anxiety and also the the, the physical symptoms of depression. So tiredness, um, lack of sleep or oversleeping, um, overeating. Uh, overeating or um, not, you know, have loss of appetite, losing weight or gaining weight. Drinking alcohol. Exactly. If you need more and more stuff to calm you down, you <laughs> know, kind of. Can, can this include smoking? Yes. I mean, smoking is a, is a way to, it's actually interesting. It's the, the repetitive movement of the hands more than anything else. I've that, always said smoking yeah. is um, a, a, a physical addiction um, as well as a ritual addiction. Yes, it's, absolutely. If you can break the ritual, yes. you can you can detox from the nicotine within two days, but it's the ritual that's, that's right. around yes, smoking. Yes, I, I, yes. When, when I worked on uh, getting people to stop smoking, I would say to them, okay, you can't smoke with your right hand. You have to use your left. You mm. can't use a lighter. Mm. You have to use matches. Mm. Um, and now it suddenly becomes, but this feels Weird, wrong. yeah. Yeah. And then it helps them to yeah. stop. Okay. Um, so coming back to the symptoms mm. that you asked. So uh, so it's the physical symptoms, the emotional symptoms, the intellectual symptoms that we've um, uh, mentioned. And then how it impacts on the relationship. So you withdraw more from people and what your loved ones experience is that you're pushing them away. They feel you don't want to do have anything with them to do, but it's because of what's going on inside. So all your intention is, uh, attention is on what's going on inside. You don't have that emotional energy to. You feel disconnected from people. Before that part, yes. You you previously said that women tend to to verbalize more how yes. they feel, and if you don't have that feedback where you yes. verbalize, that's where it becomes a anxiety disorder and a depression. Because that's where you pull back into yourself and not talking to other people. Yes, um, at least both is both happens. Okay. So it, it depends on you know on a specific individual. So sometimes when people are depressed, they stop talking. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes people are depressed because they've always been introverted. They've always struggled to okay. verbalize their feelings. So it 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 it, it there are many individual differences. Mm -hmm. But I mean, in the end, it boils down to feeling isolated, feeling lonely. Yeah. And um, withdrawing from people, and if, if people um, uh, are, um, have a relationship with God, they also feel God is there for everyone else and not for me. So they also feel disconnected from God. Sometimes, especially people with a bipolar disorder in a manic phase, feel God is sending them on a mission to, sorry, to change, change the, world, the world. You know, so that can also happen. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So, is it safe to say that? Loss of pleasure and Absolute, enjoyment of things that used to give you, you joy, joy yes. is one of the biggest warnings. Yes, signs. that's one of uh, the very grand word for that is atedonia. So it means that things that usually gave you pleasures, you don't enjoy that anymore. And, mm. and one can just, if you start thinking about all these symptoms, every aspect of your life has been... Um, influenced by how you are feeling because remember what is a mood disorder this it's an illness of your feelings and oh, wow. and and so you cannot rely on your feelings but your feelings are so strongly saying to you this is how it is and your thoughts are negative because your thought processes are influenced so you look at all the very very um, negative thought patterns and you cannot change that you believe this is how it is so it's so debilitating to struggle with any mood disorder i i, I read um an very profound for me it's very profound in any case uh, statement um, and i can't remember from whom or where and it was a man without feeling becomes a robot Mm. So I always tell mm. people, you know what, if you're angry, be happy to be angry. Feel it. Absolutely. Get it out. Absolutely. If you are sad, 
Cry, enjoy it, put on the sad music, watch a sad movie, but experience that emotion because if you don't, it blunts all the others. You cannot be happy if you can't be angry or sad Sad. and relish in it. 10 out of 10 for that um, remark because that is so true. And this is what happens with depression is that you cannot, depression is about not feeling your feelings. Mm. And if you can start feeling your feelings, verbalizing your feelings, what happens in the brain is actually quite fascinating. Um, your, the, the illness is in your limbic system and the neurotransmitters are secreted and it goes to every cell in your body. Mm. The moment that you start to talk about your feelings... The limbic system the, gets active. It's, it's, it's actually a different a neuropathway that happens. It goes from the limbic system to your um, language center in your temporal lobes of your brain, and from there it goes to your prefrontal cortex, uh, which is your analytical brain. So it actually takes a different neuro pathway in your brain. And that's where you, naming the feeling is taming the feeling. The more you talk about your feelings, the lesser the intensity of the feelings become. The less you talk about the feelings, the more intense the feelings become and that's why journaling is such an important tool i tell people you know if you don't have someone to talk to if you don't want to talk to someone talk to your pillar your dog your parrot talk to your plants but you know what at least just (laughs) that's fine i'd rather be crazy than trapped in my own mind yeah i can't stress this enough um the 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 research that has been done on journaling is absolutely fascinating. And what research shows is that longhand writing is the most effective, then printing, and then typing on the computer. Because you actually hire a part of your brain as, you know, to get some perspective on what is happening. And I just, you know, about four or five months ago, I personally had a, there was a problem in the family, which I knew I couldn't do anything about it. And I worried and worried and worried, and my journal is in another part of the house, so I don't want to put on all the, you know, get out of bed in winter and put on, get the, uh, put the alarms off. But then I took my journal and I wrote about this problem. And what was so fascinating is there were 14 aspects of this problem that I was worried about. And I felt better <laughs> after writing it. It was much more complex than I initially thought. But after writing it down, my mood lifted. So I cannot stress, you know, I, I can't remember who was the person who said, I will write myself into well-being. Oof. It's so important to verbalize what you're feeling, to talk about it. And also for people who are depressed or anxious – to be very specific about what you need. Ask your loved ones, I need a hug right now. I need you to leave me alone right now. I need you to take me for a walk, even if I don't want to go for a walk. You know, so because because they isolate themselves and they withdraw, their loved ones don't know how to what so to do with them. What I'm I, what I'm hearing from you is our jobs as medical practitioners, healthcare givers, is to educate the family members of patients with mental health issues about proper support because it's difficult. I don't want to be around a negative Nelly. So I'm going to remove myself out of that situation, actually putting them a step backwards. Mm. And see, this is fascinating. What do we do? Can I just interject here? Mm. I also like journaling. Okay. What is interesting for me is when I journal and I go back six yes, months later yes. and I look at what I've journaled yes. and I can't believe that is what I felt at that exactly, stage. Exactly, Elise. Exactly. And the problem actually solved itself. Yes. Or I did something to solve that. And that makes me feel better. You know what is so important about what you are saying is that one, one, when you're depressed, one of the problems that you have is you look at the future as dark. You mm. don't think it will. you will ever feel better because your feelings of feeling so terrible 
are so deep that you think it can never improve. Yes. And uh, the thing about journaling is that you can actually see that things change. Yes. And uh, I mean, I've been journaling. It's very uplifting it to is go very, back and read yes. it and feel better. I've been yeah. journaling for more than 20 years now and I've learned so much. I mean, in psychology, we are forced, you know, I've had to go for 40 sessions of psychoanalytic therapy and <laughs> and we Are you in, still in super <laughs> yes well I'm not so sure <laughs> and I know the family <laughs> okay <laughs> and um, yes yeah, so there are so many things that we have to do in order to because I mean we are if you're a psychologist you are the instrument mm. So you have to know yourself. You have to know what will trigger you, etc. But I always say I've learned more about myself through journaling than through anything else in, yes. my, in my life. Because what also happens is that um, I learned, for instance, why I didn't like – I used to not like winters. Mm. And then I s- realized, but, I mean, what can I do to make a winter more – pleasurable for me so you actually learn your learn to get to know yourself better and also to know what are the things that actually stress you and Mm. what can you do about it yeah Uh, when i talk about stress in the workplace Mm. specifically um i i i say there's a couple of things that you need to do Number one is you need to identify the stressor. Yes. If you don't know what it is that that causes the stress, there's nothing that you can do about it. But that takes a little bit of introspection. And often you learn something about yourself that you didn't want to know. Exactly. So Mm. it's identify the stressor. Mm. And now you need to decide, can I do something about this or not? If Mm. you can do something about it, do it. If you can't, you're faced with two options. I either have to accept it and walk away or I have to change the terms of engagement. Um, and that, again, takes courage to actually look at yourself. What am I doing mm. that's causing this and how can I change? Because if I can't change the situation, mm. I need to change. Mm. And I don't think people... Mm. Are, are equipped or necessarily willing to do that. And see, um, we're running out of time very, very quickly. Again. <laughs> so what do we do at home? I, 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 don't, I just want to say I can't um, agree with you more. Knowledge is power. The more you know yourself, the more you know your condition, the more you can do something about it. And then that very important thing about what can I change and change it. Even if you can't change the situation, you can change your attitude towards it. Reaction. Mm. Yeah, your reaction. And what do I need to accept and let go of? I cannot change this. It makes life much easier. Mm. To say, well, if I cannot change this, let go of it. Yeah. I, I say to people, you know, but when you're in that work situation, you are going to be faced with one of two options. I either have to resign Mm. or I have to change. If you can't change, you need to go. But you know what? That's your security blanket. Yes. So uh, often I think people don't have the balls to say, sorry, this is not good enough for me. I'm not dealing with this and turn around and walk away. Uh, It's incredibly difficult. It is. So to get to what are the things that one can do, we've, no, we've mentioned journaling, we've mentioned um, talking. Exercise, I think, is the most important thing for any person suffering from any mental illness to do. We know, Professor Pete Oosthuizen wrote a book, he's a psychiatrist uh, in uh, Stellenbosch University, he writes it in capital letters. If you are depressed... Cardiovascular exercise is non-negotiable. And I know that I'm, we have a family history of depression. I know that for myself. It's extremely important to get uh, exercise. Breathing, um, I mean, it sounds so silly, so simple. We breathe every day, but we do it unconsciously. The research has shown that inhaling for four counts, holding your breath for seven, exhaling for eight counts. If you do five repetitions every hour, 
It down-regulates your nervous system. It down-regulates cortisol because yes, it acts exactly. directly on your vagus nerve. That's yes, exactly, absolutely. exactly. And it's such a silly thing to do. But it's, it's not silly. It's such a. It feels. It sounds like it's too simple to do. Yeah, you know. But I think if people just take what you've just said and apply it in their work environment, mm. before you walk walk into a meeting, mm. or even just quietly, absolutely in a meeting, yes, just practice that. I'm just going to slow my breathing, mm. and I'm going to exhale against a little bit of resistance. You don't have yes. to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Through your mouth, you can actually do that through your nose as well. Yeah. No one will know, but yes. it immediately lowers cortisol, cortisol levels, yes. decreasing your blood pressure, yes. stabilizing your um, your glucose levels, mm. and stopping that adrenaline rush, that, which right. can lead yes. to fatigue. There's another thing about, we talked about sleep. There's a, a, a wonderful app that one can uh, download for free called CBT hyphen small i coach. It's uh, it's cognitive behavior therapy, therapy insomnia coach. It's for free and it helps you to better your sleep um, uh, hygiene. And, and, and it's really, it's a wonderful app to use. Um, so that is something that I will certainly recommend. CBT dash, dash I, I coach. coach. Yes, yes, okay. yes. So, um, diet. Diet also plays a role. I mean, it's diet. Diet is not going to cure depression, but obviously, we know what we eat is what it affects our whole Especially body. Especially your sugar. Your sugar, sugar and starch. Alcohol and starch. And ex- ex- exactly, exactly. So, to eat healthily will certainly make a, a difference. You know, I actually never thought it's my job to ask people what they eat. I've learned it is my job. I once had a woman with anxiety, and um, we couldn't uh, we couldn't help her. And then eventually, I realized I heard she has two two liters of coke every day. What? Well, it's a stimulant <laughs> yes. because yes, of the caffeine, exactly, and sure. the sugar. And then another client of mine was a young lady, and she when she drove to work, and then she slept before she got out of the car, and she was always tired. And then we learned that she doesn't eat. Yeah. Until seven o'clock in the morning, and then she has one meal. I mean, if you don't have, if you don't eat, you are not going to feel have energy. Yeah. So then the vicious cycle uh, cycle starts. I, I I think one of the things that we need to be careful with is comfort food. My comfort Absolutely. food is macaroni and cheese. <laughs> if you really want to spoil me, give me macaroni and, and cheese yes. or millipup with butter and sugar Should, on it. Yes. So those are my my comfort foods because that's what my mother used to give me, mm-hmm. um, you know, when she wanted to spoil me. Mm. So um, I, I think overeating comfort foods and most people yes. go to pastas, pizzas, yes. cakes, chocolates, etc., yes. etc., et and it's all the stuff that you actually need to stay away from. Yeah. So I think my motto is: I have eat. 80% of the time healthily, and then you can spoil yourself 20% of the time. <laughs> so. Not 20% of a day. <laughs> yeah, not 20%. Jesus. So, yeah. um, see, we, I, I think we're going to get a lot of people after this discussion taking a look at themselves and realizing that what they are feeling is starting to become a mental illness. I, I think a lot of people didn't, didn't connect the two. Mm. We know that our lifestyles, the mm. daily stresses, the sleep, the work is playing a, a huge role. The stuff that we eat, our inactivity is contributing to the pandemic of mental illness. If persons want to, or if, if People want to know more, and they want to contact you. How do we go about that? Do you, uh, your practice is situated in in Florida Hills yes. on the West Rand. Um, people are welcome to contact me, and I. What can, is your room's number? Um, well, my practice number is not the not working at the moment, so I'll just have to give you my cell phone number. What What we'll do is 
call us at Fatigue Clinic and we'll pass you on to Dr. Ghost. The number at Fatigue Clinic is 010-824-1393. And the moment for Dr. Ghost's uh, office line is back up and running, we'll post it on, on our website. Ansi, um, thank you for joining us today. It was such an enlightening discussion uh, for a very pervasive problem. Um, we know women battle with mental health issues more than men, um, but I agree with you. I think mental health issues in men are underdiagnosed mm. as well. Next week, we'll be back and we'll be um, continue our discussion with Dr. Ghos on um, disorders that only affect women. Um, and here we're thinking of antenatal and perinatal as well as postpartum depression and the issues that we have around um, mental health issues due to hormonal changes in menopause. So until then, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.